0: Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host Ashutosh Garg and today I'm delighted to welcome a very accomplished professional from Sydney, Australia, Mr. Troy Mansell. Troy, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Very excited about this conversation we're about to have, Ashutosh. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Troy is the co-founder and director of Benny Button And before he got into wellness, he spent 20 years with the media industry. So Troy, let me start by asking you to tell me about your journey from media to wellness in brief. Yeah, it's not the usual pathway, I have to say, but
1: Mm -hmm. uh, I was in a position in the media industry through a time where it was going through significant change, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in Australia, but globally as well, where uh, consumer habits... media were changing Uh, so it meant uh, the workforce was not really the right fit for the way in which media was being consumed this meant Mm -hmm. that I was running part of the business that uh, became redundant in a sense Mm -hmm. Uh, so manufacturing and operations around 400 people uh, had to make their jobs redundant that was over a two-year period over that two-year period I invested really heavily in people's well-being Mm -hmm. uh, with the concept that I wanted people to leave the business in a really strong position mentally and physically for whatever was next whether it was a new job or uh, their next phase of life and um what I didn't realize was by the time the those sites had closed down the manufacturing sites had closed the people's well-being had improved but we also saw significant improvements in performance mm. so key performance indicators had peaked just at the time I was turning off the lights. So to me, it was uh, a bit of a light bulb moment. Uh, why did it take a catastrophic event mm. uh, to get this investment in well-being going? Because mm. previously it'd been very hard to get executives to invest in well-being. Mm. But when it came time to close these sites down, we were given carte blanche to, to invest in any way we wanted to. Mm-hmm. So for me, my transition into the well-being space was I want to get out there in the world and convince business leaders, as many decision makers as possible, that people's wellbeing is not only good for people, but it's good for business as well. So right. that became
0: a new mission. Amazing. And I guess that's what was the start of Benny Button.
1: It was the start of Benny Button, yeah. It was, um, look, I, I spent some time consulting in uh, in the marketplace around well being and leadership but uh, look, there were many gaps that I saw in terms of how it could be done better. And Benny Button was something that I had a concept of um, getting up and running as quickly as I could, mm. given that I was learning more and more about where the opportunities were in the
0: market. Hmm. Interesting. And what is uh, the origin of the story behind the unusual name, Maybe Benny Button for wellness?
1: Yeah, look, my my co-founder, uh, Dr. Adrian Medhurst, and I were um, conceptualizing what Benny Button would be. At the time, we didn't have a name, so there was there wasn't a name for our organization. It was really just about the services that we could provide to the market in in a different and unique way. And we had a a serial entrepreneur who was uh, helping us out at the time, and he was in his early sixties, and he had a Four year old child at the time, and we were sitting down as we were conceptualizing about the name of our business, what it would be. He was talking about the fact that he wanted to reverse his age. He wanted to um, turn back the clock almost so that as his son was growing older, given that he was in his 60s, he wanted to be around for his 18th, his 21st, his wedding. So he was like, "I I need to turn back the clock. And there was a young girl working walking past us at the time and and she said it sounds like you're you're wanting to do a benjamin button okay which of course comes from uh what many people know as the brad pitt movie but it was a scott fitzgerald short story written in the 1920s about a person who was born old and their age reverses Mm. as they get older so that became a bit of a playful take Mm. on uh (laughs) Supporting Perfect. people to live live younger and turn back the clock. So Benny Button
0: was the name that uh, emerged and and it stuck. What an what an amazing story! Thank you for sharing. So Troy, what is the gap in the wellness market that uh, you are addressing through Benny Button?
1: Yeah, look, when we, uh, as I said, we were I was in the market and conceptualizing what the business could be, but one of the the biggest gaps that we saw. If you think back to the story I told before, where I wanted to convince as many leaders as possible that well-being was good for business, not just good for people, but there was a lack of data out there that could prove that. So uh, the gap that we identified as our biggest opportunity initially was to provide leaders with really good data about their business when it came to well-being, but how it actually influenced performance outcomes as well. So, that was this gap that we saw, there was nothing really linking well-being to performance. Mm Well-being was done on the side, yoga, fruit bowls, gym memberships, but it was very hard for leaders to see how it was impacting performance. So that Mm -hmm. was the gap that we identified. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. And um, when you talk about the concept of wellness, what is your own unique way of approaching wellness?
1: Yeah, well, for us, it's very much uh, Firstly, it's whole person, so it's very holistic mm-hmm. and something that we, we find important. There's a number of factors that are science-based that make up whole person wellbeing, mm-hmm. but also uh, wellbeing in work and life, not just your wellbeing outside of work, but mm-hmm. your sense of wellbeing and work fulfilment within the workplace. So this is very much work, life, wellbeing, performance. These mm-hmm. four things come together and make up our, Unique uh, take on what well-being is,
0: mm. and was there any specific uh, reason that you decided to target the corporate wellness market only? Look, it was is definitely
1: a a place in which I was familiar with in terms of um, it being something that I was a leader in for a long time. My business partner is a organizational psychologist, a doctor of organization psychology. So he's, he had a lot of experience in in um, the psychology of workplaces. And we also, there was a, a couple of other reasons. Um, most people spend their work, waking lives at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we thought that was a great way to influence people uh, coming together in workplaces. And also from the uh, Global Wellbeing Institute, there was data. And it's it's still around this market at the time, only 9% of the global population workforce had access to well-being, hmm. support services within their workplace. That has increased slightly, but there's still a huge opportunity for growth in this market hmm. when we look at it globally.
0: Interesting. And when you talk about corporate wellness, what are some of the challenges that you are addressing in the corporate uh, market in Australia?
1: Look, it, it's definitely um, stress is something that uh, before the the pandemic, stress mm-hmm. was on the rise. So workplace stress and, and even the stress of you know people being overloaded with work life demands. So that's mm-hmm. definitely an area that uh, is a big focus of ours. We're helping uh, all the people we work with develop a, a, a bit of an upgraded mindset about what mm-hmm. stress really is and turning mm-hmm. it into a into a positive thing in their life and something that they can work on improving and mastering over time. Sure. So we call it stress mastery. That's a mm-hmm. really big area for us. And um, other other challenges workplaces are facing are, is is burnout. It's mm. it's on the rise significantly, um, particularly coming out of COVID. Burnout is now being experienced by about uh, you know, close to 30% of all workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's getting up around the 40% mark of all leaders. Wow. So people managers are experiencing burnout more. Mm-hmm. And then when you think about some data coming through that about 80% of those leaders who are experiencing burnout don't know how to manage burnout of their people. So it's a bit of a um, vicious cycle here. So burnout is definitely um, one of the key areas mm-hmm. Um, that is a challenge for, for corporate markets when it comes to their people. Mm-hmm. And the, the third one I'll touch on is, is in Australia particularly is um, psychosocial risk factors. So mm-hmm. these are things that are uh, impacting people psychologically at work, uh, the risks that are involved, such as workload, bullying, um, a whole raft of different things. And it's mm-hmm. now becoming legislated in Australia. So mm-hmm. leaders in workplaces have to manage and monitor this they can't just ignore it so that is a
0: challenge we're seeing emerge for Australian mm-hmm. workplaces mm-hmm. as well and when you when you um, are called in by some you know company uh whether it's for a stress matter or a burnout matter how do you approach this whole process yeah uh back to what I said earlier getting
1: really good data so we have a a methodology in which we work with our clients and it's called mm-hmm. explore transform and evolve so the mm-hmm. explore phase is the first phase in which we work with any individual or organization and that is to get good data what are your strengths and challenges when it comes um, to a holistic approach to well-being and performance what are the strengths yeah. what are the challenges? Then when we get the data we sit down with our organizations and we look at what's going to be the best return on investment. So looking at the data, where can we have impact on your people and how is this going to flow through to better outcomes for mm. their work and life and also better outcomes for the business. Right. And that's where the transform phase starts to emerge where it's you know uh, helping people to to after they've learned about ways in which they can improve, how can they put it into practice in their work and life? Mm-hmm. And Third phase is this evolve phase where we get good data again after the transformation's taken place and we start to really measure the impact that it's having. And it gives leaders and people confidence that if they put effort and investment
0: into this, there's going to be some sort of return in value. Mm, very interesting. Well, you also spoke about uh, the, you know, one, the third uh, area, which is the psychosocial impact. Which you said is likely to be legislated for in Australia, for my viewers and listeners, without taking any names, could you give me an example of, uh, uh, you know, how this, you know, how you encountered something like this? Yeah, so look, uh, well, psychosocial
1: risk. Uh, there has been ISO guidelines that have been put out globally, but mm-hmm. now Australia, when it comes to legislators um, in insurance. Uh, the, the, the organisations that protect workers, like Safe Work, it's called in Australia, are looking at getting more rigorous around the responsibility business leaders have on, on actually monitoring and measuring this. So things like burnout, which I touched on, a lot of the time that can be um, a symptom from being overloaded at work, so where there's too much pressure being put on people to deliver mm-hmm. performance outcomes, So we were seeing this emerge already in our data that there was um, work was affecting well-being. Um, There were things like pressure on people in this hybrid world was increasing. So um, we knew it was on its way. But the fact that it was becoming legislated in Australia is just, I guess, that question that leaders might have on do I invest in this as a discretionary spend is now turning more into this is something we must investing mm-hmm. so' mm-hmm. it's, it's something that we're putting a lot of attention and focus mm-hmm. on at the moment
0: as are other businesses and and do you see this challenge growing in in, in Australia or in the world absolutely absolutely um,
1: stress pressure burnout is on the rise it's not going anywhere so we mm-hmm. need to actually look at workplace systems. In how it can uh, better support people to mm-hmm. when we talk about living well and having impact, mm-hmm. how can people come into workplaces and live well and have impact? So mm-hmm. it's good for them, mm-hmm. good for the business, and they can do it in a safe environment. That um, you know, when they finish their work experience with with an employer, that they're a better person coming out the other side. They haven't been we call it chewed up and spat out through mm-hmm. this system that just exploits people. Mm-hmm. So I think more countries around the world will begin to legislate this more rigorously. And mm-hmm. I know parts of Europe already are. Australia is in a sense catching up to a degree, but I think it will become more of a challenge. We are—we have seen in the last couple of years um, what's been called the great resignation mm-hmm. and also hearing about quiet quitting. So yeah. it's almost shifting the power to the people in mm-hmm. many industries across the globe and mm-hmm. workplaces now have to look at unique ways to attract talent into their mm. business. And more and more the generations coming through are expecting that their well-being is going to um, either improve or be looked after mm-hmm. when they come into a workplace. It's not mm. something that's going to be ignored. So I think this is only going to become a a more relevant
0: conversation and area for organizations mm. to focus mm. on around the world. Well said. And you know we spoke very briefly about the pandemic. I wanted to ask you how did the pandemic affect Benny Button? And uh, how did you adapt to a lot of the challenges that your clients must have faced? Yeah, look, at at first, it was a little bit scary, because I think, I can
1: only speak from experiences here in Australia, the Mm -hmm. workplaces went into a bit of shock. Mm -hmm. So there was a moment there where, um, you know, we were getting a lot of our work put on hold, or even contracts were being cancelled as people were trying to get their head around what was actually happening Mm
0: -hmm.
1: very soon it became evident that well-being of people was something that was going to be critically important through this pandemic right with us i i guess um we were seeing that that was going to be the case we were just waiting for businesses to catch up so what we did as a business when revenue essentially stopped coming in as it was we started to provide our services and content to the community in kind. So not Mm -hmm. charging anyone for our services. We just wanted to still have impact, even though our workload had somewhat decreased. And we got hit by the good karma bus Mm because I think as we were giving uh, this, this services and content away, as the organizations caught up realizing this was something that was going to be really critical for their people through the pandemic to look after their well-being, they started mm. coming to us for support. Mm. In the meantime, we had had adapted how we were delivering content. So as you know, the world turned to things like Zoom and Microsoft yeah. Teams, WebEx to deliver learning content. So mm-hmm. we were bringing music and moving videos and imagery into our workshops online that were really engaging. And I think we set probably the, the world standard in terms of keeping people engaged and mm-hmm. interactive in our workshops. So that helped us to adapt. And we're still carrying that learning forward now in how we deliver online workshops, mm-hmm. but even when we go and interact with people mm-hmm. in the workplace, mm-hmm. uh, some of the learnings from that uh, pandemic have Uh, seen us adapt the way in which we just engage with people Mm. uh, around. So it's been a really positive thing for us as as a business. And I think it has built trust with our customers that we were able to support them through a really challenging time. Mm. So now we've got this sense of loyalty from them and and referrals that we, we
0: are a really good business to look after people through significant challenges. Mm, well said. The next question that I had for you, Troy, was that in a country which is so multicultural like Australia, um, which on the one side is so athletic and on the other side, has got people who are coming from all over who may not necessarily be athletic. How does culture impact wellness? You know, different eating habits, different exercise habits and so much more.
1: Yeah, look, up at- there's the, it's, it sort of goes two ways in ter- in terms of culture impacts wellness, but wellness also impacts culture. Correct. One thing, uh, we've got a huge data set, one of the most progressive data sets looking at work-life, well-being, performance, uh, strengths and challenges. But what mm. it's able to tell us is that when people have high levels of well-being, so they're, they're in a really good space from a capacity perspective... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's about an 80% chance that they're going to be also high performers. So our data is showing this. So as your well-being grows, so mm. too does your sense of contribution and performance in work mm. and life. When your well-being drops to low levels where you're at risk, you're about a 4% to 6% chance of being able to sustain high performance. Mm. This is showing that wellness definitely impacts culture when it comes to business outcomes. And then also... I think, from uh, a perspective of when when new people are coming into the business, and there's a lot of turnover of employees in workplaces now, when they enter a workforce and they can see that well-being is part of the culture, mm-hmm. it's a place where they want to be, and and we're we're even seeing in recruitment phases now that well-being is becoming one of the most critical things mm. uh, taught. it comes to talent attraction. Mm So there's definitely this relationship between well-being and culture, well-being and performance, they go hand in hand,
0: and they affect each other for sure. Mm, Interesting. And when you look at technology, you know, the technology is changing the whole world. And I know technology is coming into almost every aspect of healthcare. What are your thoughts on the future of wellness when you look at it in terms of technology and digital uh, advancements?
1: Yeah, look, the I think it wasn't too long ago when uh, well-being in workplaces had a one-size-fits-all approach. So it was I like did. let's deliver um, a service or an offering and, and right across the workforce. When we know that people are unique, like mm-hmm. everyone is different. Everybody's well-being uh, interests and their readiness for change is different. Mm-hmm. So well-being has to become personalised. So we are already leaning into this quite heavily with our personal profiling tool that we have that helps mm-hmm. an individual understand themselves, mm-hmm. and provide them services, support content that are relevant to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think with the explosion in AI and, and machine learning that we're seeing at the moment, that's only yep. going to make this personalization of well-being even <clears throat> better and smarter mm-hmm. so we're going to be able to get to know people really well and then connect them with products and services when it comes to well-being right. when they need it if not before they need it before mm. they even realize that they might need support in an area we want to be able to be a step ahead a of people so that we can mitigate this risk of people getting into loss spirals when mm-hmm. it comes to their well-being and help them course correct really quickly through uh, technology, so AI is an area that we're uh, focusing on as mm-hmm. we speak,
0: and we're really excited about that. Amazing, amazing! So, have time for two more questions for you. My next is that: what is the next big thing for Benny Button?
1: Yeah, I guess it's just reinforcing what I just talked about. We're we're conceptualizing and and in the progress of developing a well-being buddy. Mm-hmm. So, if you think about a person who enters a workforce from day one they get a wellbeing buddy and it's with them right on their shoulder, side mm-hmm. by side with them till the day that they leave. Mm-hmm. So it's like having a personal wellbeing coach mm-hmm. and, and the aspiration of this for us and, and working with our clients is to help build better people through their experience at work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So not only will they have a good experience at work, they'll come out the other side as a better person uh, with increased levels of wellbeing and feeling mm-hmm. like it had a real impact uh, on people going forward. So this well-being buddy supported by technology, AI, machine learning is something that we're uh, really excited about. And, and we feel it's going to change the way that well-being is done in workplaces uh, around the
0: globe. Mm. And my last question to you, ben, uh, Troy, and this is uh, for the many, many people who will listen to our conversation. What would you say are your top three wellness tips for busy professionals?
1: Top three is. Can I only say three?
0: Yeah, I'll stick to oh, three. No, you can say more you like, but...
1: No, look, <laughs> I, I think um, you know the, we ask this question quite a bit, and and it's a good question to ask. But yeah, how are you going? Which is good. So how are you? But mm. I think what's important, a, a well well-being tip that I have is mm. being able to answer with confidence. Who are you? So. Mm. If someone asks, who are you? Uh, What are your top five values? A lot of people really struggle with Mm -hmm. that. Like Mm -hmm. they don't understand who their real true identity is. So Mm -hmm. tip number one, uh, understand who you are as a person. What makes you unique? What are your your unique strengths? Mm -hmm. And then apply that to all your goals in work and life, particularly around well-being. So if you can attach a well-being goal to something that you really value, Mm -hmm. it's unlikely that it's going to stick you're going to persist with it because it's really important to you Uh, so that's that's one tip I think um, then checking in regularly so we talk about this with all our clients and all the people we work with Mm -hmm. you have moments where you stop pause reflect and check in on how things are going for you so -hmm. this can help you as an individual course correct so you might be investing too much time in work your relationships are Mm -hmm. being disrupted there's an imbalance and for many people, this imbalance becomes something that they find hard to course yep. correct. So yep. By having moments in your week where you can stop, pause, reflect, check in on how things are going, uh, are really important. And in that check in process, asking yourself, what am I doing when it comes to my well being investment? What actions have I been taking? Like mm-hmm. Being your own accountability buddy uh, and, and keeping well being on the radar is really important. Mm-hmm. When it comes to this, well-being investment, having the mindset that uh, of a one thing well mission. So uh, I think people can be paralysed by all the stuff out there when it comes to wellness mm-hmm. and well-being. That They don't even know where to start. So right. we encourage people to focus on one simple thing that you can do each day. Mm-hmm. You put your head on the pillow. Have mm-hmm. you done at least one thing well for your well-being? Like just one thing that will help you sleep better at night and Yeah. These great lofty expectations are not something we should all be chasing when, you know, we can keep it really simple. And and when we have that mindset of one thing well and then we can work on ways, how Mm. can I integrate these simple things into my work Mm. and life routine? Mm. So into the flow of my work and life routine uh, and stack a well-being action with a habit that I already have in my day. This is where things become a bit more realistic in terms of being able to achieve it, because across our data, a data set of about six hundred thousand data points, the number one biggest challenge people still have when we ask them about uh, their well-being investment is, "I don't have the time."
0: Mm.
1: So we need to um, you know navigate our way around this complexity of time and mm. integrate small well-being actions into our day. and, B.J. Fogg, a Stanford professor, came up with the concept of tiny habits. Mm -hmm. And that is something we really resonate with and connect to is, you know, tiny, simple things that you can build into your day. And over time, you might have 100 of these tiny habits that are in your flow of work and life and keeps your capacity and well-being
0: high. Correct. Well said, well said. And this is almost the same as what uh, it's often been said, you know, in your career, take bite-sized milestones, you know. Absolutely. But, but Troy, on that note, and your wonderful lessons, understand who you are and what makes you unique. I think that's so important, so powerful. Number two, you said check in regularly on yourself, course correct, whenever it is necessary, whenever it is necessary. And the th- third one, which is so very powerful, focus on one thing for your wealth, well-being and see that you're doing it well.
1: Thank Absolutely. you so much.
0: Thank you so much for speaking to me, Troy, about your own journey from media to wellness. Thank you for talking to me about Benny Button. I, I loved your story about the name of Benny Button. And thank you for speaking to me about so many different aspects of wellness and corporate wellness.
1: Thank it's you. Good pleasure.
0: Thanks for having. having bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You, videocast and podcast